Hello, and welcome to the DMA Politics Podcast. My name is Michael Sturrock. I'm the Public Affairs Manager at the DMA. And today I am in Edinburgh, back home in fact, after quite a few weeks of going roundabout for the DMA, travelling to all sorts of different events, political and otherwise, uh, chatting about various sorts of things, about Brexit, about the general election that we're currently in. But I am quite glad to be back home. I'm sitting, enjoying a cup of tea from my brand new DMA-branded reusable cup, um, which which is about as exciting as it gets, the DMA. But um, it is important, as we have taken a decision to get rid of um, single-use cups in the office and uh, try and do our bit for the climate emergency. And that is quite on topic because last night we saw the, well not quite all the political leaders of the the parties take part in a uh, debate on Channel 4 on climate change but we saw a number of them uh, turn up and take part excluding the Conservatives and the Brexit party and this is one of a number of debates and interviews that have been going on with the various political leaders of the political parties because As I've mentioned, we are in the midst of our general election campaign. And I can actually believe I haven't spoken to you since before we started the general election campaign. Uh, It is in week three. Are we in week three? Yeah, we're halfway through week three of five of the general election campaign. And the parties are doing lots and lots to try and win people's votes. Now, usually, general election campaigns are an opportunity for parties to propose what policies they would enact if they were elected as the government. However, you will be you will well remember, and it's probably seared in your memories, that Parliament for a number of months and years has been in this state of deadlock and hasn't been able to do anything. The governing party, the Tories, were not able to pass their Brexit agreement. Theresa May tried, then resigned. Boris Johnson tried and didn't achieve it. And so they decided that the only way forward was to call an election uh, to try and break the deadlock that was happening in Parliament. So, I mean, essentially, the election was designed to deliver a clear result in Parliament that would allow a government to take shape and act decisively to get Brexit done in whatever way they deemed to be the right way. Um, and while, while this is a welcome idea to many, this election is far from guaranteed to deliver the kind of result that will get Brexit done if you're the Tories or get Brexit done harder if you're the Brexit party, get a different Brexit negotiated, then have a vote on it if you're Labour, get Brexit undone if you're the Lib Dems, get Brexit voted on again if you're the Greens, or get Brexit undone or at least voted on again, but then leave the UK and rejoin Europe if you're the SNP or Plaid Cymru. So, I mean, you can you can see how complicated this picture is. There's so many visions of Brexit and un-Brexit being proposed by different parties at the moment. And with that, we pretty much immediately run into another problem. The UK's political system is, frankly, simply not designed to pick one choice from a pool of many. The Westminster system means that the likelihood of securing a majority is only really reserved for the two main parties, the Labour and the Conservative parties. The the first-past-the-post system is one whereby which we each MP is elected by a simple majority. And so even if smaller parties have quite a lot of support across the country, generally in each constituency, they won't get above, you know, 5 10%, if that. And so the main parties win 
20, 30, 40% of the vote and normally win because of that. And that means that smaller parties are barely represented uh, across the board within the parliament itself. And so even though that system is designed to uh, win a majority, it's probably the case that because there are so many visions of Brexit on show, the likelihood of majority by the main parties is slightly less because the smaller parties are likely to get little gains here and there that will reduce the number of possible seats that the main parties could win. And on the one hand, this could mean that the Conservative Party, if they want to go ahead with a Brexit programme, they theoretically could have to join with another party. Perhaps if the Brexit party wins seats, then they'll have to combine to propose a programme of government for Brexit. And then on the alternative Brexit side, or the Remain side even, um, with the Labour Party leading, they may have to join up with, for a start, the Scottish National Party, who are the, the third largest party in government in Parliament. Excuse me. Uh, and then perhaps if they've had an even dramatically worse electoral performance than is expected. They might have to join up with the Lib Dems and perhaps even Plaid Cymru, the Welsh National Party, and the Greens. And, you know, perhaps at this rate, the House of Commons janitor might have to join in too. However, uh, this means that compromise is back on the table. And as we know, people can't really agree on Brexit, otherwise they would have done it by now. So if neither the Conservatives or Labour have a majority, we're kind of back into the situation where no one can agree a way forward to form a government and deal with Brexit. It's theoretically possible on the 12th, of, or rather the 13th, Friday the 13th of December, when a new Prime Minister is declared that we could have a similar situation as we do now, where the way forward with Brexit is just unclear. And that's quite depressing. Nonetheless, we are the Data and Marketing Association, and in times of strife, we look for comfort in numbers and data. And while I am almost uniquely unqualified to deal with numbers, I think the best qualification I can uh, present to you is an A in maths at school when I was 16. And that is, hold your applause, and that really doesn't bode well for my uh, dealing with data. Luckily, there are a huge number of very professional sophologists, which uh, is the technical term for people who deal with polls and voting, um, and very good data analysts, and they have many of them have created big pictures about what the possibilities and what the possible outcomes of the general election could be. Now, if you are politically engaged and on Twitter, you will have seen in the last few days lots of buzz about a particular YouGov poll. Uh, and this was the largest poll that has been conducted by any polling organisation so far, and I think they're going to do another version of it again. But it conducted interviews with over 100,000 people across the UK, and uniquely it created an individual constituency by constituency map of what they predict the electoral outcome to be. Or rather, the polling companies are very, very quick to tell you that these are not predictions. In fact, I misspoke there. They're not predictions. They are merely snapshots of what the numbers would suggest people's political preferences are at the moment. As I say, we are two and a bit weeks out from the general election, or no, we're two, two weeks out from the general election, um, and things could change. A day is a long time in politics. Lots of things could come out in the press, or perhaps the narrative around what is the priority of the British people on in this general election could change, and that means different parties could sneak up. So 
while they can give indications, while polls can give indications, they can't definitively say what the result will be. There are uh, predictions and obviously... Uh, We have two weeks to go, and two weeks is a very long time in politics. Nonetheless, let's take a little bit of a look at the numbers, because as I was saying last night, we saw this huge YouGov poll released. Uh, In fact, it's not a poll. It's called a multi-level regression post-stratification, which is a complicated term for what is, well, to be fair, quite a complicated process. Uh, Nonetheless, this predicted a fairly comfortable Conservative majority. Uh, They would win, by this model, 359 seats, and the Labour Party would win only 211, giving the Tories a majority of 68. So, is this to be believed? On the one hand, the same poll, when was conducted in 2017, correctly predicted that there would be a hung parliament. Uh, and that was in contrast to quite a lot of other polls that were released at the time, which said there would be a comfortable majority for Theresa May. So if we're judging it on track records, then this is probably quite a good indication of what could happen. And equally, obviously, it's a large sample. So the more people you ask, the more accurate your picture or more accurate picture you can create. Uh, but if we look a bit at the numbers more closely, there is a huge number of seats in England that are have leads of the Conservatives, or the Conservatives' lead is less than 5%. And so really, events and uh, perhaps a shift of perspective of the voting public mean that really there doesn't, it won't take much for a lot of these seats to go the other way. Equally in Scotland, there are a couple of seats that are very closely um, contested by the SNP as well, some even within 1%, such as Ogle and South Perthshire. So it will not take a lot for the result of this poll or this prediction to go the other way. So really, we, we have to take what this says with quite a big pinch of, pinch of salt. And what's more, if we look at other polls across the board, the majority that they give to the Conservatives is quite a lot smaller. We have a Telegraph one which uh, was released yesterday as well, which only had a lead of 12 And then you've got to remember that these models are, while they are very complicated and taking a lot of different factors, they don't always accurately portray what the political reality is in different parts of the country. So we have this big um, alleged leave movement in the north of England, but whether we know that this will outweigh people in the north of England's preferences for um, better public health, uh, public services and a preference for uh, a party that will, what they perceive to look after the NHS better, will the Brexit desires outweigh that? It's hard to say. Equally, if we look at Wales and Scotland, we have very different political pictures. In Wales, Plaid Cymru, the Welsh National Party, have seen a remarkable uptick in support, and these models generally don't really... Uh, rather, they tend to discount smaller parties, um, and if, if this, the trajectory of uh, success that Plaid Cymru is having continues, then that could see a bit of upset in a lot of seats in Wales. Similarly... Uh, the Lib Dems and Plaid Cymru and the Greens have also agreed an electoral electoral pact, which would see that the other two parties, in the seats that one of them could win, the other two parties would stand down, allowing the kind of anti-Brexit, um, socially progressive party or the votes to be united around one candidate. So that's a bit of uh, another consideration in Wales. Then in Scotland, it's 
been the case increasingly that the political situation is almost wholly removed from the rest of the United Kingdom and obviously that is much to do with the rise of the SNP and the independence movement and some polls having uh, released in the last couple of days seen see the support for independence at 50-50 and that's really and the first time that's sort of consistently been at that level for any period of time. So the political picture is very different. The Labour Party traditionally, or 10, 20 years ago, were really, really the, the, the strongest party in Scotland, have been pretty much decimated. So there's a number of things that need to be considered there. And indeed, an STV poll, a Scottish, um, uh, that's the Scottish equivalent of ITV, their poll um, com- uh, commissioned by Ipsos Mori had the, the Conservatives losing quite, I think, five or six more seats to the SNP and Labour Party a couple more seats as well, as well as the Lib Dems. So if the political situation in Scotland is to be believed by these polls that are slightly more focused on Scotland, then the SNP have a larger uptick uh, than would be um, seen in the polls that have been released that are UK-wide. So we have a fairly mixed picture, um, and the important thing to remember is while the numbers may not lie, politicians do. And there is a couple of weeks to go, and who knows what uh, they will be claiming in the next two weeks that will work or not work, and perhaps there will be a movement towards the Labour Party or the Conservatives. Generally, when polls are released as well that favour one party overwhelmingly, uh, support for the party that's losing in that poll actually increases over time. That might be because activists think, oh, goodness me, we really need to get the um, the message out to people because we're losing really badly, and so we might uh, make more efforts to reach more people to try and uh, win support. Um, equally, it might be the case that those on the more favoured side of the poll would rest on their laurels somewhat and think, OK, we've got a comfortable lead here, we don't really need to make too much effort. But... Uh, yeah, the main thing to think about, there's far too much time to go to take these polls as anything definitive and keep your eyes peeled on developments. Things can change in an instant. Uh, I'll be, as ever, keeping you posted on the DMA website. I have a couple of articles up at the moment. Um, and as ever, please feel free to get in touch. Michael Sturrock at michael.sturrock at dma.org.uk. And feel free to tweet me at Michael Sturrock on Twitter, and you could do the hashtag DMA poll pod. Turning away from the election briefly, uh, I was in Brussels last week, and we had our uh, annual meeting of FEDMA, which is the Federation of European uh, DMAs. And we have about 24 National DMAs meet together in Brussels to discuss various things, including lobbying on the EU level and at the national level. So we had a really good and constructive meeting. Um, One of the things we did was submit a letter to the European Union or to the European Commission voicing concerns about the current manifestation of the e-privacy legislation. There are a number of concerns that the industry have around various aspects of the e-privacy legislation. There's an article on the website that will give information about all of that. All of that. However, after we'd had that meeting and later in the week, the Commission put the legislation to um, to a vote to see if it would be approved to the next stage, and it was quite overwhelmingly rejected by the uh, members of the European Commission. So. 
that's very, very good news for the data and marketing industry. This piece of legislation, which in principle was was good, it was an add-on to GDPR, it had different uh, considerations that said that GDPR was a really good piece of legislation, but there are some developments even since then that mean that regulation of the internet and of the data economy need to be taken into account. Nonetheless, it had quite a few flaws, and so the fact that this has been knocked down the road is very good because it gives us more time to uh, talk with legislators, talk with industry members and voice our concerns about what the possible uh, solutions to the problems that the um, legislation is designed to solve could be. So that's really good news. Ultimately, it's going to be either kicked down the road for a matter of many months. It could be something that Ursula von der Leyen, the new commission president, may simply think that this piece of legislation is too contentious or too too much work and she might bin it altogether. Either that or it will be something that will take quite a few more months of drafting to do. So that's good news for marketers. There's not going to be this impending piece of legislation that they'll need to look out for just yet. We'll of course keep you posted on that. So that's about it for this week. As I say, please feel free to get in touch on my email or my Twitter. Uh, I'm always really delighted to have questions from people and to discuss politics. It's what I am paid for, after all. And uh, yes, please get in touch if there's anything you'd like me to discuss on the podcast. And if you'd like to come on and discuss anything, I'd be more than delighted. So please do get in touch. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.